back to the Vine Conversations podcast. And today, episode number 80, we are welcoming Dr. Jonathan Pennington. And he's recently released a book called Come and See. And the subtitle is The Journey of Knowing God Through Scripture. So Dr. Pennington, thank you so much for joining us. Maybe you could help us by um, just letting us know who you are, uh, a little bit more about yourself, anything you'd like to share. Sure. Great. Thanks for having me on here. Um, yeah. So I'm a Midwesterner, like you Wisconsinites. I assume you consider yourselves Midwesterners. I do. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, I'm from Illinois and then lived in the Chicago area for a long time. Um, yeah. So for the last 18 plus years, I've been a professor of New Testament uh, at Southern Seminary in, in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, but for longer than that, 25 plus years, I've been involved in pastoral ministry in Illinois and and in Kentucky here as well. And in the last few years, I've kind of turned the slider, the volume slider on that part of the mixture of my life uh, uh, up more, you know, so in other words, I've always kind of lived in both worlds of the academic and the pastoral. Um, I'm still a full-time professor, but last years I've really felt a call to be even more involved directly in church ministry. So I preach uh, about a third of the time at my church and lead men's ministry and do a lot of teaching in various capacities at uh, my church, which probably sounds like it's kind of similar to yours. It's a yeah. uh, Harbor network or sojourn yep. a church here in Louisville. So yeah. So I've got six kids, um, been married 30 years to my wife and yeah, Tracy and uh, five of our six kids live here in town and we spend a ton of time together and uh, really enjoy uh, the goodness of a complicated life, you know, yeah. uh, with sufferings and joys and, griefs and uh blessings all mixed together so what's the age range oldest to youngest yeah our youngest just graduated from high school last okay. weekend uh she's 18 and our oldest is 27 and uh two are married and then in three days time another one's getting married or four days time so oh you packed them in tight there yeah, we had four graduations this month as well. Th- two from college, one from high school, one wow. from graduate school. So it's been a lot. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, well, I'm yeah. a few years behind you um, in that my oldest is 20 and my youngest is 14. Well, let's let's turn to talk about your book, Come and See. You just came out with it. What what inspired you in general just to to work so hard and, and publish a book along these lines? Yeah, yeah, good. Well, there's probably a number of factors. I mean, you know, autobiographically, again, I've done a lot of academic work and have written a lot of long books <laughs> and, uh, you know, many of which I think have helped pastors as well. But but I, I've been wanting to write shorter books over the last several years. It's kind of been part of a shift. Uh, you know, it started a few years ago when I turned 50. It's kind of a second stage of life stuff. You start to think, you know what, what really, what do I want to do in the last, you know, few decades, Lord willing or whatever. And, and it was really clear. I wanted to write shorter books and I wanted to write books that I could put in the hand of a hands of a, of a regular Christian who really wants to study the Bible and know God more. And, 
Yeah. And uh, so that was really the motivation, you know, at one level. Another is that, um, you know, it's a perennially important issue because Christians and Jewish people before us are people of the book, you know, and we, it, that's not how every religion works, especially in the ancient right. world. A lot of religions didn't even have writings and we kind of don't know about them because I mean, we historians know about them, but we don't ever think of them because sure. they didn't write a lot of stuff down. And, yeah. but Christians and Jewish people have especially always been people of the book. And what that means for us is that, you know, we need help a lot of times to read these sacred scriptures well. And so um, I felt like this book really sat at the, you know, the Venn diagram overlap place of, of my, the two parts of my life. Yeah. So if you were describing this book to someone in the lobby at church and they're like, Oh, I heard mm-hmm. you came out with a new book you yeah. know, and, you'll, and you only had one minute to describe it to them. What would you, what would you say? <laughs> the elevator pitch? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I think I, it's a great question. I think I'd say, um, you know, studying the Bible is a really important and beautiful part of, of following Christ. And and at the same time, we often need help. And so this book is to cast a vision and give some really practical tools on how to uh, study scripture, but not just with our minds, but recognizing we're studying scripture in community with a goal of knowing God more. Yeah, that's really helpful. So what do you think are the most common pitfalls that people in our kind of tribe of Christianity fall into, or maybe asked in a different way in your lifetime as a Christian, are there themes in ways that we screw up interpreting the Bible that you kind of see over and over, whether it's maybe a a pastor and you're like, Ooh, that, that, that's a common error or someone in a small group you know, what, what do you see as like the biggies? Yeah, that's, it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think I would like to kind of spin that good question on its axis and say, like, what makes for good reading? I sure. think that's, that's, I think a, maybe a, a more productive way of thinking about it. You're right. There are certainly bad ways of reading, but I always, you know, one of my main life mantras is the best critique is a beautiful alternative. (laughs) And so what I'm trying to do in this book is offer a vision for how to read the Bible well, Yeah, um, which is part of things I've been involved with for a lot of time. Some other, you know, longer, (laughs) more complicated books talk about that. But, and and I would say that in this book, what I'm trying to show is that uh, there are errors to be avoided, but the better way is to think of it in terms of, um, three different modes of reading or three different um, skills to develop or three different types of questions to ask that each um, help us see some of the beautiful aspects of Holy Scripture and how God uses it to draw us near to him. And uh, as you know, if you, since you've read the book, the metaphor I've used is three friends going on a road trip, you know? And so that's, that's the kind of idea that there are different sets of questions, different sets of skills to develop uh, on this journey. And each of them are addressing, you know, some potential pitfalls. Maybe I'd also say um, that one thing I have observed is that different church traditions 
even within a tribe of evangelicals or of actually nine kind of people or whatever, yeah. even so there's going to tend to be uh, some per people, maybe personality types, some backgrounds, some local churches that are going to tend to emphasize or approach the Bible in one of the three ways that I lay out to, sure. to the neglect of the other. So that could be a, that could be a, you know, a pitfall is not doing all three, uh, yeah. and, uh, which we haven't really described what they are yet, but that's how I, yeah, let's that. do that. Like, let's, let's do that. Maybe we can talk about the pitfalls as we go, but like give our, our listeners just a, a brief overview of the three parts of your book and, and why those are important to you. Yeah. Well, everybody loves a good road trip. I think most people yep. do. And uh, I hope we all love good friends. And I have a lot of good friends and I love to be with my friends. And the idea is uh, that you're taking a long road trip and it's a road trip so long that not just one person can drive. You really have to uh, have all three friends drive. And when they're driving on this trip to this destination you all want to get to, these, th these three friends have different personalities. They have different interests. And whoever's behind the wheel gets to determine the podcast and the music, right? So it's a good, yep. good road trip rule, right? And so these three friends, Ingrid, Tom, and Taylor, then again, represent three different kind of ways of thinking about the Bible that are all beneficial. And we need all of them. And Ingrid represents, and the names don't really mean anything except sure. for Taylor as Taylor Swift, not Justin Taylor, although he can claim it for himself <laughs> if he wants as well. But in my heart, it's, it's Taylor Swift. But they're really just alliterative. So Ingrid uh, represents an informational kind of reading, which okay. maybe we can go back and double yep. click on that. Tom represents a theological reading, and yep. then Taylor represents a transformational reading. And we need all three of those you know, types of skills and uh, approaches. So informational. Theological, yeah. transformational, informational, theological, it. transformational. That's right. What 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 are what are those three? Yeah. So Ingrid again, the informational represents a whole bunch of skills that, um, especially in we, what we call the modern era, uh, have been things that people have emphasized when when they read the Bible. So like recognizing using this big fancy word genre, which just means. Yep. Recognizing that there are different types of literature in the Bible, which I think, you know, when you're around the church a little while, you kind of pick up on that, that you read a proverb differently than a psalm, which is a poem, differently than a letter, and which is a little different than a story, Old or New Testament. And so that's a really helpful skill that you can develop to recognize that different types of literature in the Bible, um, you know, need a slightly different approach to, to read them well. Um, in that section of the book, I also talk about um, these big categories of what I call behind the text, in the text, and in front of the text, which just means that, again, there are um, certain skills to develop, like understanding historical backgrounds and yes. cultural backgrounds, like what did it like an honor shame culture, you know, in the in the ancient world's honor and shame were like really big commodities in society in a way that they aren't in the modern West. And that's just one of a million examples of how, if you understand some of that, it makes you read the Bible a little bit more clearly when you yes. run across something. So. Yeah. So informational is, is like just understanding the data mm -hmm. of, of lots of various aspects of what the Bible is all about. Mm-hmm. And um, just good and, reading skills. Yeah. You know? Just like for any book, like how do you interpret a poem? Well, you pay attention to repeated words and phrases, stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So 
let's talk about that for a little bit, just to kind of take a, a sidebar on that. Um, you mentioned genre. And why is understanding genre, you hinted at it, but let's unpack that a little more. Like, why is understanding the genre of scripture so important? And what are, what are the dangers of, of us not understanding the genre that we're in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, this is one of the things that, you know, is, uh, you learn pretty early on in seminary, which is really helpful. And I think then a lot of people in churches come to understand this too, but basically different types of literature in you know, all the world outside of the Bible as well, um, have different expectations uh, on the reader and they're trying to communicate in different ways. And so you have to learn to pay attention to them. And and most of this you learn naturally, you know, like when you're standing at the line in the line at the grocery store and you see, you know, um, you know, the National Enquirer. So I don't know if that magazine even still exists, that tabloid. (laughs) And it says, you know, like, you know, President Biden, you know, seen on spaceship, you know, over Saudi Arabia or whatever, you right. know, you, you read that and, and, and next to it is the wall street journal and next to it is, you know, woman's health magazine or whatever it is, you know, just even within those little things at the grocery store checkout line, you know, that you read them a little differently. You read them with a different set of questions. You expect yes. different things from them. Right. Yes. Um, and then, it, and then it kind of expands out. You read a novel very differently than you read the manual on how to fix the clutch on your, you know, Mazda RX-8 or whatever, you know, <laughs> you read it right. with a different set of expectations. And and the, Bible, and the Bible is really a library. It's not a book. It's a library written over a long time in a few different languages by a lot of different people who are all um, inspired by God, you know, we believe, but it's, they've, they've written in different styles um, and different, with different purposes. And so, it's a really helpful skill to just learn, oh, okay, when I'm reading a story, I pay attention to plot and how, um, you know, characters develop and how a story has a tension that's released. That's very different than reading a letter um, from somebody or a word of prophecy that's written in a poetic form. And so those are skills that anybody can develop. You don't have to have a right. PhD. <laughs> you can right. just learn to to read the Bible a little bit more sensibly to those issues. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I explain it like... Um, if I was going through my grandma's attic after she passed away and we had to go through all of her things and we discovered a book of things that she kept from her husband who was away at the war, Mm. world war two. And he wrote her letters. Yeah. Um, and then we stumbled on some poems that he wrote for her. Like everybody knows that we don't read those in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, or a 1928 dishwasher manual. Exactly. Or, <laughs> or exactly. washer and dryer manual. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. And so um, I think sometimes we just forget that the the same standard is, is to be imposed on the Bible as well. Mm. Right. Where we don't just take um, interpretation however we want, but we want to submit ourselves to, like you said, principles of just good reading. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the, so that's information. Let's talk about uh, theological reading. What does that mean? Yeah. So this one is, you know, people often ask me when I talk about the book, like, is there one of these that, you know, our churches do better or worse at naturally? And I think it really does vary by denomination and by local church, but this might be the one that is not as clear to us, a theological reading in the evangelical tradition. And 
what the idea of a theological reading is. So Tom gets behind the wheel and he says, thank you, Ingrid. That's all super helpful. <laughs> and dear sister, I love you. Thank you. Uh, but all those skills and paying close attention to the text, as important as that is, and really foundational, it's not the only thing we need when we're reading the Bible as Christians and reading the Bible as a canon, that is a, a set of documents that we believe are inspired and that are ultimately about God. I mean, that's what yep. theology just means, a study of who God is and what he does. And a theological reading um, means a number of different things, but it, it means a set of skills that Tom brings to us to say, okay, when we read the Bible, we're not just reading it um, as an individual book. We're thinking about how the whole Bible fits together. So from Genesis to Revelation, there's a story uh, yeah. that is has twists and turns and and uh, has different things going on, but there is a consistency because God is the same as it worked throughout, the, throughout his creation. Um, and we can call that a biblical theology or redemptive history. Sometimes we call that. Um, but there's a, also another way of reading theology that we call systematic theology or dogmatic or constructive theology, where we pull back and we say, OK, if we understand who God is, that he is three persons, he's one God, he's not three gods, and he's not he's not like moving back and forth between his persons. There, there's all kinds of ways that you could read the Bible and misunderstand. And so theology is something that people have you know, done forever, gifted and called people who wrestle with the entirety of the Bible and figure out the best ways to describe what it's saying. Yeah. And we need, we need those theologies. So like, is Jesus two people? with one nature is he two natures in one person you know, things like yeah. that that may not initially seem like they're important or or maybe something that does seem more practical like what is the role of doing good works which the bible commends all throughout old and new testament in relationship to faith and being a christian and what's yeah. the role of being a disciple in relationship to faith that saves us right well those are really important questions and we can't just kind of go to one Bible verse to figure that out. We need to kind of take the whole counsel of the Bible. And then we need help from people that have the skills and gifts to think about that kind of question and put the whole Bible together. And so the the key is that those kind of readings of biblical theology or especially systematic theology, those kind of readings don't replace our reading of the Bible, but they do help us. They do guide us. And and the earliest versions of all of that were were called the creeds or the rule of faith originally, but then the creeds. And this is the role that like the Apostles Creed, the um, Nicene Creed, the Constantinopolitan Creed, the symbol of Chalcedon, where right. they really thoughtful, gifted church leaders gathered together to, in community and said, we need to think about how to answer this misunderstanding of the Bible. And that tradition goes all the way down to your church's statement of faith. You know, right. we, we don't just say, you know, if you turn to the website of your church and say, um, you know, what does this church believe? It would not be sufficient to just say the Bible, you know, right. because yes, why we believe the Bible. There's a lot of questions that what do you think the Bible says? Right. right. And so statements of faith, doctrinal statements, um, creeds, the whole point is that those things help us be good readers and yeah. we need to to let them guide us without replacing the Bible. And that's what Tom really offers to us. Yeah. And so informational would be more like how 
to interpret the Bible correctly and the skills that that takes? Is that what yeah, you at the say? textual level, at the kind of level of individual verses and stories yep. and psalms, so that you don't like make easy missteps. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then that, but that helps us understand how to how to land the plane on the right theology, right? On the right answers to key questions. Cause if we don't interpret correctly with context and genre, then as we seek to, to have it be theology, like actual convictions about truth, that's going to get screwed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, there is a sequential nature to it that you, you read texts closely and those, you know, result in theology. Absolutely period. And at the same time, you know, I mean, how we interpret a text is affected by our theological understanding, right? There's actually a bit of a dance there. So like a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon would read John 1, uh, which in the beginning was the word or the logos and the word was God and was with God. They're going to read that exact same verse and they're going to read it differently. And it's not just based on a set of skills, it partly is that we learn from Ingrid. It's also recognizing that when we're reading John 1, we also need help from putting the whole Bible together to help us understand what, what is going on here. You, in other words, you can't just do it from kind of a grassroots up. You also need the help of the whole council of scripture. So there's a dance always going on between the skills we use to read a text well and the whole Bible's message about God. And that's what theology gives us. Yeah. So, um, I went to seminary and I learned this concept called biblical theology and I was raised in the church. I'm a Christian of a kid as they come and it blew my mind. Mm. I didn't know, like, like I didn't know that there was a storyline that runs through all the scriptures, that the scriptures all fit together. And I'm really passionate for our people to learn this a lot sooner than I did, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what you're hinting at is that if we don't understand the storyline of scripture, um, we can run into a lot of problems when it comes to handling the word correctly. Individual, individual stories. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So can you unpack that maybe with some examples or, or I just want our people to be motivated to understand the storyline of scripture and why that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so to affirm, yeah, the biblical theology approach is an important part of a theological reading. I wouldn't say it's the only one though. I do also think we need this kind of more systematic approach where the Trinity is a good example where, you know, there's no Bible verse that proves the Trinity in one place or something, or fully explains what it means. And even reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you are as a story, you're going to get some of it, but you still need like also people to kind of go back and like pull on certain threads and say, how does this relate to this, <laughs> you know, and God being, you know, not three gods, but one God, et cetera. So, yeah. so a biblical theology reading is really good to say like, oh, you know, the idea that God is present with his people. Well, you can read that from the beginning of in Genesis one. And you see that you kind of start paying attention to that theme with, um, 
Adam and Eve and then them losing the presence of God in some sense, and yet him still being gracious to them in that outside of Eden. And then um, when he's calling his people, the, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is a repeated thing that God's going to go with them and be with them. And then right. uh, with Moses and Israel all the way through, well, when you get to the New Testament, then with all the twists and turns of Israel's history, produced to be called Emmanuel and to right. say that he's God with us that like, Oh, that's not just out of the blue. That's like, no. you know, coming about from all the stuff that has happened and you keep reading through even after he ascends and is seated at the right hand of the father, he sends the spirit then right. to, to be with his people. And so that we might know God. And then you look all the way through the end of the book of revelation and you've got God returning fully to be present with his people so that there's not even the need for the sun anymore. That is the right. S-U-N, not the S-O-N. Right. And so, I mean, that's just one of a million beautiful threads that like when, okay, so when you're reading any individual text, like Abraham's story or Matthew chapter one about God right. being Emmanuel or Jesus being Emmanuel or the end of Revelation, you know, you can understand it at one level, but it, it's really understanding the whole story of how that all fits together and how it interweaves with the idea of the temple and the right. tabernacle, you know, right. how then, then it's like, Oh, this is not just kind of one-off thing. This is like a major theme in the Bible that all connects together. And that's yeah. like beautiful and, and powerful. So I don't know if that's kind of example. No, you're it's looking totally for, it. Yeah. Like yeah. I just remember after being taught all of this, like just thinking as a kid, I didn't have any clue how Isaiah related to Matthew mm. or, how, you know, the, the temple in first Kings eight related to Jesus cleansing the temple or, or you know Ephesians what I mean? like, too, when we're exactly. now the temple or something, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, yep. and it just gave me this deep sense of profundity that mm -hmm. I had missed. Um, and that this, this, I don't know how to even explain it. It's just, it's like, um, it's like when you put on a pair of reading glasses mm -hmm. and it's like, I didn't even realize everything was blurry. And <laughs> I've, now I've, I see yeah, I've, been, you, I've been used to having bad eyesight for so long. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and yeah. it just that, made my that's Bible exactly reading. That's exactly what happened to me actually. <laughs> yeah. It, it made my right. Bible reading come alive. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And, and here, if you want kind of the deep cut version of this, feel free to cut this out if you don't want. No, no. Is that there, ironically, that's how Christians have always read the Bible that whole kind of putting the whole Bible together, both biblical theology and systematic theology until the last 250 or 300 years, uh -huh. when this kind of skills that Ingrid brings came to the forefront, not only like were developed more, but then became the dominant way of reading. And for many people, the only way of reading. And so, sure. so ironically, what happens is that experience you just described of not really knowing how the whole Bible fits together um, theologically or storyline wise, that's a new development that came out of an overemphasis on the kind of good skills that Ingrid brings us. And that's a huge part of my whole book is that, I mean, not, you know, getting into the deep cut as to why it happened, but just to say Ingrid's skills are great. Informational skills are great, but they are not going to get you all the way to knowing God. You can just know a ton of stuff and be right. a really good reader and not see how it all fits together. And that's, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. And then that leads us to the, the third part, the transformational and how does that relate to informational and theological? Yeah. Yeah. So let's say you're going on a journey again, it's a long journey. You're going from Florida to California or whatever. And you know, you might have a great time all the way through, you know, the South and the, <laughs> in the Midwest, but 
if you get stuck, you know, in Nebraska, sorry, Nebraska or wherever uh, <laughs> you haven't made it or Kansas. And, you know, the point is really to step back and say, okay, what is our goal in reading the Bible? Yes, we want to read it with accurate information and good skills. Yes, we want to think about the whole Bible together theologically and think about how the history of the church has understood the Bible. That's really good. But if you do all that and don't get to what the stated goal of the Bible is, then you have not actually read it well. And let me, I'll go to Augustine on both points here to say, like, it, there's this great quote I use on most of my syllabi for my classes from Augustine. He says, anyone who um, has read the scriptures, but by that reading, it has not resulted in a, a, a building up of the double love, the double love being greater love for God and greater love for neighbor. Anyone who's read the Bible without it building up a double love has not really understood them. And the point is that the, to the stated goal of the Bible is that we might know God more. And what does yeah. it mean to know God more? To love him with all of our being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as Jesus says, the second commandment is like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so if that's the goal, then you need to reverse engineer it. <laughs> you need to think back and say, okay, well, whatever else we're doing in the Bible, as good as informational reading is, as good as theological reading is, if we don't read it for personal transformation where we love God more and love our neighbor, then we really have not done what it's for. I always like to think there's a lot of places we can look at the Bible for this, but a very famous verse is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and I bet yes. a lot of our listeners could even quote it, you know, all scripture is God breathed. And, and that's a great word to emphasize the authority, the inspiration, the inerrancy of scripture. But we often stop there and don't keep reading because as it's God breathed and profitable or useful or beneficial for teaching, for correction, for reproof. And I think all that can be summed up in the phrase training in righteousness. Yes. So in other words, it's not just enough to say, I know a lot about the Bible. I even know about, about the theology of the Bible. The goal is for us to be transformed. And so yeah. my big burden, this is a huge part of the burden of the book, honestly. And this third section is, I think in a lot of traditions, including ours, we've kind of put transformation and application, if you want to call it that, into kind of a separate category that's like isolated from interpretation. That is that we often think, well, interpretation is like, you know, Ingrid and Tom basically. And then application is this other thing you do. Sure. Well, you know, there's a sense in which that's helpful, but not really because again, it's like making two thirds of the way on a journey and you don't make it. It's like, well, you didn't make it then, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's the the point of the, the transformational is that we've got to read with the goal of coming to know God more clearly and having it impact our lives or else we haven't really read it well. Yeah. Yeah. It can't just be some academic pursuit. Mm -hmm. We can't um, disconnect the truth of what we find to how it applies to our lives. Right. Yeah. And at the same time, right. So two, two things on that. One is that, you know, it's very possible. I always have to remember this. It's very possible to know a whole lot about God and know a whole lot about the Bible and to have, and to be going to church regularly and to not actually know God. Yeah. 
I mean, that and all you have to do is read the Bible, Old and New Testaments, and you'll see that happens all the time. Yeah, the Pharisees and are the classic example. The Pharisees example, are the classic right? example, right? Yeah. And and there and you always have to remember the Pharisees are good guys. They are yeah. not, you know, like these like sneaky, you know, people with wearing hoods and, you know, dark glasses sneaking around, you know, doing bad stuff. They are righteous people. They are do they are they have the Bible memorized. They yep. are the experts in it. They are very uprightly moral people. There's nothing to indicate the Pharisees were anything other than very moral people. They really were. But they lacked what is absolutely crucial that any of us can lose as well, and that is a heart that's connected to God. And ironically, knowledge about God and knowledge about the Bible can be one of the most effective ways we can deceive ourselves to not actually knowing God. That's yeah. the that's the ironic. So how would you help part. someone if they asked, how do I know if I'm doing that? Mm. Like, I, yeah. help me. Like, I don't I think I might be a Pharisee, but I'm not sure. Help me. What yeah, would you say? good question. I mean, to some degree, we all are. <laughs> right, exactly. Right? In the sense because we lack wholeness, but it's actually beautifully simple and beautifully doable. And it's in genuine humility toward God. Mm-hmm. I mean, to really, and this is where the transformational aspect is, you know, comes to the forefront in that we get on our knees and we live in a, in a place of, willing to be corrected by God mm-hmm. and willing to be um, changed and with a, a constant humility, not a, not a paralysis that comes from, you know, fear. Um, like, Oh, am I doing enough? Enough. It's not that because God looks upon us with a smiling face. He loves us. He's not out to get us. He's not withholding himself. He's not like waiting for us to do enough stuff or, like maybe our fathers or mothers just kind of waiting for us to screw up and then say, right. see, I told you that is not God at all. Right. He is inviting us constantly to find life. And the only thing we need to do is be being willing to confess our brokenness, confess our limits, confess our ignorance, confess our failures, confess our inconsistency, confess our mixture of heart and everything we do, but not in a way that paralyzes us, but in a way that frees us. Right. To say, uh, and to remember, Jesus looks upon us with a smiling face. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. He wants us to learn. And so this is the beauty of it. There's no there's no um, amount of education that's required. There's no amount of skills that are required. It's a posture of heart that yeah. God really sees and cares about. Yeah, it seems like so. that's another theme that you can trace through all of Scripture is pride versus humility Mm. and you see it from beginning to end that's right um we're preaching right now through the life of david Mm. and you see this amazing yeah Yeah. this amazing contrast in the beginning part of david's life of the pride of saul versus the humility Mm -hmm. and trust of david and uh and i and i see that in my own heart when i come to the scriptures I think it's sometimes it's as simple as just saying a, a, a prayer before I open my Bible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, Lord, would you help me to like be under the text? That's the way I talk mm-hmm. about it. Yep. Um, under the text versus over the text. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to look down on the text in judgment, but I want to be under the text so that I can receive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good. And, Stand under. Understanding is really standing under. <laughs> the yeah. Chandelson, Van Hooser. Um, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Good. So, um, 
along those lines, you talk about posture in, um, was that in the transformational uh-huh. section? Yeah, I think that's so. Right. Yeah, that's posture right. Part. Yeah. So what is, what is posture? Un- unpack that a little bit in terms of how it relates to, um, interpreting the Bible correctly. Mm-hmm. I think it's what we were just saying, that kind of humility, um, uh, that is always going to be inconsistent and we're going to fail. We have blind spots, but again, it's, it's a coming to the Bible with our mouths open to be fed, you know? And sometimes we come when we feel numb and dead, but we still come just like right. church, you know, right. or right. like taking the Lord's table. We do it weekly in our church and it's, you know, it's, it's not, you whip up enough, uh, enough good in yourself to come to church or to take the Lord's table or to read the Bible. You don't, you, you come with the kind of humility of recognizing our need and the complex reality of being a human is that as we do, so we become. So in right. other words, like as we continue to seek the Lord, even when our hearts are inconsistent and as we continue to go to church and open the Bible, even when our lives are, you know, have blind spots in them or, or we're aware of things in our lives, the act of doing shapes who we become, right? This is the, the power of, of habit, you know, and, and or virtue is the older way of talking about it. And so a posture of heart is a humility of my brokenness, my inconsistency and a hunger toward God. And even at, even if we see in our hearts, a lack of hunger, <laughs> even that acknowledging that is okay to start with that, you know, and asking God to, to work and then stepping towards him and faith in that way. Do you think our physical posture, like of our actual bodies plays a role in this too? I do. I do. Yeah. There's a little section in the, we haven't really talked about this, but there are all these little kind of side trips. I call them in the book that talk about interesting things about the complexity of what it means to know something. And one of them in this chapter, I believe it is, is about embodied knowing and posture. And the, the reality is that, yeah, what we do with our body shapes us. Right. And so the act of getting on our knees, if we're able to physically, or the act of bowing heads or the act of showing up to help somebody move on a Saturday, (laughs) whatever it is, those things not only reflect what's inside of us, they do that, but they also shape what's inside of us, right? This is the complexity. There's kind of a chicken and the egg that you never can really sort out what comes first. But, but yeah, um, it is very beneficial to think about our body, our bodies, because we are embodied knowers. We do not know apart from, from our bodies, you know, in that sense. And so like, if I read my Bible, on my knees versus some other way there's do you think there's um a more profound experience potentially through that well you know obviously it's not magical or something no no but but, uh, yeah there is you know i one of my books i wrote a little while ago uh is all in the sermon on the mount and it had a huge impact on my life personally and um you know, it still is the source of a lot of great conversations I have with people in the churches and all over. And I just so distinctly remember I wrote a lot of that book in a, an office I had at the time in the library, kind of a secret tucked away office that I would use to kind of get away. And in there, I had a kneeler, N-E-K-N-E-E-L-E-R, right, which is something right. that Christians have used for a long time. Uh, it's a little padded thing you'll see in a lot of higher churches. And almost every day, if not every day, I had a separate Bible in there just open to the Psalter, to the Psalms. And I would 
start and stop each day of writing that Sermon on the Mount book by getting on that kneeler, reading a psalm kind of meditatively and praying. And, and you know, I, I'm i thankful it shaped me. And, you know, there's nothing magical. There's no magical formula. But I can't help but believe that that had a profound impact on how I wrote the Sermon on the Mount book, which was a book very much about um, paying attention to what's going on inside of our hearts, not just our external behavior, yeah. you know, and I'm thankful for that. You know, I didn't, it was no like magical plan or formula. It was just something I felt led to do. And, and I'm thankful for that habit, you know? Yeah. I could see um, that. Yeah. We're embodied creatures. We have, mm-hmm. we have a physical body for a, a reason and, and God created us this way. Mm-hmm. I think there is a, a deep history of Christians using their bodies in specific direct mm-hmm. ways to enhance and to remind themselves um, of certain truths mm-hmm. that we might, we might neglect, um, you know, to our, uh, to our, not demise, but neglect to our, uh, what's the phrase? Um, detriment. Detriment. There you go. <laughs> neglect to our detriment. Well, let me um, close with this, Dr. Pennington. We really appreciate your time. One of the common things we hear sometimes in discussing scripture uh, with a a Christian or a a non-Christian might be, that's just your interpretation. And when we hear that, how how do you think it's best to respond to that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it always depends on the context, how much time you have. Is it an elevator speech or is it a relationship you've had for a long time? But I think this is what um, maybe especially Ingrid and Tom do bring to this is to recognize that um, how we read something does matter. And Mm -hmm. there are certain skills um, that can, you know, not in a kind of like mathematical way where you can prove it in every way, but there are skills that clearly show what makes more sense for how you're reading a, a biblical text, what my interpretation of it is or not both the skills of Ingrid and also Tom in the sense of like how the church has always understood it and how the whole Bible fits together. So, you know, if you have time to explain something to someone, I think if someone said, well, that's just your interpretation, I think the question would be, well, okay, that, that's fine. So what, how, how are you reading this text and show me Uh, not an aggressive response, but, you know, just help me understand uh, what's leading you to interpret X text in certain way, you know? Right. And then to maybe suggest in humility to say, well, you know, if you pay attention to this aspect going on in ancient culture or this repeat, these repeated words or the church's understanding of how this connects with its other texts, whatever, those are all ways that you can humbly and kindly kind of show that it that a particular text is best read in a certain way. Right. Um, but again, it all depends on relationship. You know, if somebody's coming in skeptically, that's never really the issue. You know, right. uh, ske- skepticism is manifests itself with questions that are never really the issue, yeah. you know? Um, and so I think the ultimate thing is to go for the heart in the sense yeah. of like, if someone's kind of antagonistic or rejecting something to, you know, I just try to press into, hey, what's, um, why do, why does this interpretation upset you? Or right. what is it that you don't like about it or something? I just think that kind of non-anxious, centered response to people 
is really the way forward, not defensively, not proving right. anything to people, but just, you know, a non-anxious presence in people's lives is a massively important thing. Yeah. One of the things we talk about a lot is just trying to hear someone's story. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like maybe this text um, is connected to some strong feelings that you have. Is that connected to anything from your life? Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of yeah. thing. It's great. But on the more logical side, um, I do like to say to folks, like everyone agrees that there is a faithful way to read any text. Like I couldn't read your book and go, Hey, you know what? I, you know what Dr. Pennington's book means to me? It means that I should convert to Mormonism. Mm -hmm. I mean, you would say, wait, 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 wait. Like, how did you get to that conclusion? Mm -hmm. And, um, cause something's grossly missing there and, and you, and everyone would go, that's read your book would go, I think that's not a faithful way to interpret Dr. Pennington's right. book. And you could show certain things right. that would say that, right, too. Yeah. And so we all agree that there's good ways to interpret and bad ways to interpret. Mm -hmm. Everybody can understand that. And then the question becomes, so what are the skills mm -hmm. to interpret a text in a way that's that's helpful? Now, we may not, and of course, as you know, uh, it can become very complex when you're talking about ancient documents mm -hmm. or whatever. But at the end of the day, if we both can agree that there is a certain way that's helpful and certain ways that are unhelpful, we have certain tools in our toolbox. Yeah. Could we at least try to use the tools and see mm -hmm. where it takes us? Yeah, that's you know, right. That kind of thing. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do in this book is make sure that we even have the the best tools, the best set of tools, and we use yep. them all, you know, yep. um, not just the Ingrid ones, but also the Tom and the Taylor. Yeah, exactly yep. right. right. Well, Dr. Pennington, thank you so much for giving us uh, so much of your time and for helping us on this journey of, of trying to be Christians that can interpret the scriptures well. And so um, any other books that you've got? planned for the near future always 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 yeah um you know some of your listeners may be interested in a book i did that's written about the same level as this one maybe one click above it's called jesus the great philosopher okay. and it's really a vision for christianity as not only a religion like we think of it but also um a way of inhabiting the world which and the argument is that this is how the earliest Christians thought and talked a lot about Christianity as a philosophy, yeah. which sounds kind of weird, um, but a, a true way of experiencing human flourishing by living according to God's kingdom. So that's a book that um, continues to be a source of real joy and stimulating conversations for me. Uh, the next works, I've got some overdue commentaries <laughs> okay. that I'm working on. The uh, commentary on Matthew and the pillar series. It's way overdue. Oh, great. Sorry. Sorry, Don Carson. And uh, <laughs> working on that. I've got some other commentaries in the works as well. The next book, probably also in addition to all that is a kind of follow up to the Jesus Great Philosopher book, which is going to be about um, engaging the world with beauty um, and thinking about beauty as this driving principle. Um, or we've been having in the world but yeah that's a little ways off i'm a slow writer so <laughs> yeah. well i look forward to that dr pennington and i really appreciate your writing and uh just blessings on your ministry and thanks so much for joining us today thank you it's great to be with you